hierarchy in an organization is obviously fundamental. But when you're in the Gobi Desert or you're in the Sahara Desert or you're in the Drakensberg Mountains, it's completely irrelevant. In fact, it switches because your young graduates or your new newbies to the organization are suddenly the fittest and the strongest on the challenge and therefore they're supporting the more senior people within the organization. And so you'll find that people arrive and they behave in a certain way or the high maintenance, the, the more senior people within the organization, but they then quickly realize that actually that's not going to fly in this sort of situation. So you start to discover people's behaviors and, and they discover it about themselves. If they're difficult or if they're demanding or if they're not adapting to the culture or the food or the, they realize quite quickly that actually they can't behave in that way. Helping CEOs and business leaders discover the energy to perform exceptional brilliance and positively impact the lives of those around them. Be inspired by world leaders, game-changing influencers, and next-level gurus. This is the Active CEO Podcast, where the ordinary don't belong. And now your host, CEO and founder of Energy to Perform, international speaker and leadership performance coach, Craig Johns. On this episode of the Active CEO Podcast, we speak with a young determined and entrepreneurial leader who knows the true meaning of being comfortable with the uncomfortable, loves taking teams to incredible locations across the globe, and has led fundraising efforts of over US $1.5 million for charities across the globe, including WaterAid and Laureus Sport for Good. She has a first class honors in a marketing BSc from the University of Newcastle upon Tyne and was the winner of Woman Leading Change in Asia in 2018. Her career includes working at HSBC as part of the undergraduate management and executive schemes, as well as being in marketing, sponsorships, and events. In 2017, she founded Just Challenge, an agency designed to use sport and adventure as a platform to respond to businesses' objectives, including CSR, employee engagement, client relationships, and leadership development. I have the pleasure of introducing to you a leader who is passionate about philanthropy, sport, entrepreneurship, and bringing out the best in people, Lucy Bennett Bags. Lucy, welcome to the show. Hi, Craig. Good to meet you. You've made a, made a life out of creating challenges for people all around the globe. You know, were you that adventurous and curious type as a child? I've always pushed the boundaries um, as a child. And I think my parents would certainly say the same. I was pretty naughty at school. It wasn't until university that I really realized and, and recognized the, the need for education and, and um, achieving certain parameters in order to excel when you when you get that bit older but I yes I think I was as a child I think I was always looking for ways that I could think outside the box how I could push other people and and adventure was always always part of that I mean I remember being nine years old ten years old and running away from school with the 12 year old boys because I didn't want to be there and so I think, yeah, perhaps adventure, and, I, and I've never reflected back on that, but perhaps adventure has always been in my blood, per se. 
<laughs> and sport as well like what sort of sports did you play or were you involved in any yeah sports always been a huge part of my life um from from very young i ran uh for the county and and did athletics at a national level so i think for me i've always seen the value in sport both personally for myself as an individual but also as a team and how sport can just bring a whole another dynamic and i think it's an incredibly healthy thing for children and adults to be to be part of because and i'm sure we'll talk about this later in the podcast i think from a health perspective both physical health and mental health sport is the most amazing platform to keep you on the on the straight and narrow and i've always been a very passionate believer in that and and sports just been huge it's been a huge part of my childhood from athletics through to team sports to um horse riding um and now through what i do every day every day at work so yes sport sport has always been um front and center of my life brilliant so where did you grow up and what influence did your parents and family have on you as a leader so I was born in um, born in London in in England and very young moved up north to a place a small place called Yorkshire um, and look my, my parents have always been um, quite traditional in their approach as to what needs to be achieved at, at school and they were strict but allowed me the flexibility to achieve what I what I wanted to achieve and. And they sport was something that was was big for them, and they pushed me in that in that direction. I'm forever grateful for that. I mean, I'm, my poor mother was up at six a.m. in the morning helping me with the horses. My father was taking me to athletics matches on Saturdays and Sundays, and and they bent over backwards to ensure I was able to do that. So I think, yeah, I'm I'm incredibly grateful for that start in life, of which sport was a fundamental part of of what I was doing, and I've been incredibly privileged to be able to continue that passion and involvement with sport into a into a career and and there was a stage in my life where I'd gone to university and I'd got this degree in marketing which was was awesome and and there was there was definitely an expectation or what was perceived to be a um, proud achievement particularly for my parents, was to get into a big, large corporate onto a, onto a graduate scheme that would enable me to thrive as an adult. And, and that was my ambition. And I lost sport from that for a period of my life because I went out and I found an amazing graduate scheme with HSBC and I went through a very rigorous process to get onto that, that graduate scheme. And and it was amazing and i was i was flung into banking and i was i worked in the retail bank i worked in the corporate bank i worked in the investment bank and it was great and it challenged me and i learned a lot i did my banking exams and but it didn't take me long to realize it's sort of two two and a half years of, of doing that and getting those foundations which was amazing and i'm incredibly privileged to have worked for hsbc in that capacity but it was it was quite soon that I realised that that wasn't what I wanted to what I wanted to do, and I got those foundations and I ticked those boxes. And it wasn't long before I was knocking on the head of sponsorship and events door, desperately begging him for a job in HSBC sponsorship and events because 
it was the they had the most amazing um, assets of sporting events around the world, from golf to tennis to rugby, Wimbledon, and the WGC golf, the rugby sevens, and I was desperate to be a part of that. And and he'll say that I was the most persistent person that he's ever he's ever met. And I think I emailed him on a weekly basis asking him for a role in his team and a year later he caved and that's when I moved into marketing and sponsorship with HSBC and and put that banking to the side and and that allowed me to work in a career with a large organization like HSBC but one that was my passion and and I was incredibly privileged to do that um so yeah it's been it's been a huge journey back to your sort of first question around has sport always been a part of what I do yes it has but it I had to put it to the side to enable me to get to where I where I am now yeah so before we get to where you are now we'll we'll dive in a little bit there to some of the work that you were doing at HSBC so you had the opportunity to volunteer to voluntarily organize two major charity challenges with each challenge taking 100 HSBC employees on a trek through one the Sahara Desert in 2014 and then the Gobi Desert in 2016. How did these incredible opportunities come about? So I've always been, um, and particularly as a graduate, you're sort of thrown into this um, a corporate culture of which it's survival of the fittest. And, and you have to be demonstrating of doing something more and you're 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 differentiating yourself from a pool of incredibly talented other people and and for me i got into hsbc and i looked at this organized this vast organization of three hundred thousand people for what can i do here that can make a difference that can enable me to network with a larger audience but also give back to society because for me philanthropy and, and charity has always always been a huge part of of my life and something that I've always passionately wanted to continue and make part of a job role. And I was suddenly presented with this, this vast organization that ultimately is almost a small country. It's huge. And with an opportunity to, to do something amazing. And so with permission from HSBC, I, and I was planning on going anyway. I was, I'd organized an expedition with a mate to the Sahara Desert to cross 100 kilometers by foot. And I got permission from them to advertise it on their intranet. And so we put an advert up and said that the two of us are, are crossing 100 kilometers to the Sahara Desert. Does anybody in the HSBC community want to join us? Now, in hindsight, we didn't have and now I run a business doing this, we didn't have a huge, we had no experience, we had no sort of infrastructure in place or auditing of ground handlers, but we set up this event and we put a message out to the community and we had hundreds of people apply to come and join us. And that was where it was really born. We took 100 people, we limited it to 100 people, we raised a quarter of a million pounds for water aid. And suddenly I was like, gosh, look, all these people have come from 30 different countries around the world. They're all aligned to one cause. There's bonds formed across the organization. It was just amazing. I felt empowered. Suddenly my um, profile within the business had had been raised. But most importantly, we'd, we'd raised so much money for those less fortunate ourselves. And I just felt that was the first eye-opener that I thought more brands should be doing 
um, events like this. But it, I was young. I was 25 years, 24, 25 years old. And I didn't have the business acumen or the, or the bravery, quite frankly, to go off on my own and do it. And, and so, but I, but I saw an opportunity. And so I talked to HSBC, we made it more formal. They then started involving videographers and photographers because they saw the opportunity from a content perspective to be talking about this. Like it was a brilliant story and, and their employees were raising loads of money. We were forming bonds across the organization and, and so we did it again in, in 2016 in, in Mongolia. And again, it was amazing. Like Mongolia is a very challenging place to organize an event like this. And it, I, there was lots of learnings off the back of it. But again, it was hugely successful. We raised loads of money for charity. And it was there in the desert that I thought, you know what, I, I've been put on this earth to do these sort of events. And... I therefore need to pluck out the courage to go out and, and do this for other brands. And it was off the back of that event that I had a, a very open conversation with my boss at the time to say, look, I, I think there's a huge opportunity. I think the world of sponsorships changing. I, I don't think that, that brands can get away with splashing huge checks on F1s and, and golf and all these these big sporting events that quite frankly are getting quite repetitive for the same clients. I think people want meaningful experiences. There's so many beautiful places around the world that I think that brands can engage their people, whether that's clients, employees, leaders, whoever that is. And I just saw the opportunity. So it was off the back of that that second event, which really was just a voluntary thing on the side of my desk. It was just a project um, that I that I then left HSBC to set up this challenge. Yeah, I love it. I love it. So apart from experiencing a challenge, a unique location and raising, you know, lots of money for water aid, what else did you notice that people were discovering and learning during these adventures? Gosh, so much about themselves. And it, 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 that, that for me is the most fascinating thing of what what I've experienced as, as having set up this challenge, but also being a participant on these challenges, is the way that people the way that people behave. I mean, hierarchy in an organisation is obviously fundamental, but when you're in the Gobi Desert or you're in the Sahara Desert or you're in the Drakensberg Mountains, it's completely irrelevant in fact it switches because your young graduates or your new newbies to the organization are suddenly the fittest and the strongest on the challenge and therefore they're supporting the more senior people within the organization and so you'll find that people arrive and they behave in a certain way or the high maintenance the the more senior people within the organization but they then quickly realize that actually that's not going to fly in this sort of situation. So you start to discover people's behaviours and, and they discover it about themselves. If they're difficult or if they're demanding or if they're not adapting to the culture or the food or the, they realise quite quickly that actually they can't behave in that way. And just watching quite often people sign up for a challenge like this, not knowing anybody, but they sign up for a reason. Often they're going through something or they want to get fit or they want to see the world or there's, they're often going through something. And that's for me, the conversations we have when your phones are off, you've got no signal, you're having real conversations with people for the first time in a very long time. You're not working, you're not in the rat race, you're meeting people and asking questions. It's amazing what comes up 
on these challenges in terms of how people are feeling and and what they're potentially going through and it's it's that rare question that we forget to ask nowadays like how are you tell me about yourself and that's what we encourage we encourage on on our challenges but it's what i've experienced as a participant is it's just amazing to get to the middle of nowhere to see the stars to breathe in fresh air to reconnect with nature and people and just turn off your phones and social media for a bit of time <laughs> nice Nice. Now, before we, and we've started to really touch into Just Challenge now. So before we do that, I just want to ask, you know, one sort of last question around HSBC and um, I shall make that too. So to you, what, what ingredients do you think are required to enable a successful sponsorship partnership for an event? Yeah, good question. Look, I think, I think the, the world of sponsorship is changing, as I said, and I think that partnerships and collaboration is absolutely key to a successful sponsorship nowadays. And I think that there is increasing pressure on organisations to demonstrate how they're giving back to the community, how CSR is part of that, how it's sustainable. I think... The days of us sort of going to these high-profile events and sipping champagne and building big um, sponsorship venues then tearing them down are gone. I think clients and and um, people that are engaging in the sponsorship want to to see how that is sustainable and how uh, the community are benefiting from that. And successful partnerships that I seen and sponsorships that I've seen particularly with HSBC and I think HSBC do amazingly are those that consider the sport and the um, partnership from the grassroots the whole way through to the elite um, asset that they may be they may be working with and and there's a couple of examples of that, that but one of the, the sponsorships that I worked very closely on was the Hong Kong Sevens and we supported a, a grassroots um, sponsorship that that was the HSBC Tri Rugby program that was bringing rugby into schools and schools that didn't have rugby or access to quite a lot of the sporting uh, facilities. We bought as HSBC, we bought rugby to them, and we set up a program with the Hong Kong Rugby Union to enable them um, to engage engage in rugby, and it was. I think a successful sponsorship is is it, those that recognises the need to nurture and and uh, identify talent the whole way through to executing it at an elite level. But then back to the point around sustainability and community, like we integrated uh, charity partners into that. We integrated the need for a plastic um, single-use plastic-free environment where you're um, recycling and and ensuring that actually these events are, are sustainable because brands are committed to that now. And if sponsorship doesn't communicate that throughout the the program, then you're going to get yourselves into muddy waters. And and I think that sponsors are realizing that and they're adapting their programs and investing more of their activation budgets in ensuring that that's that's clear and that's communicated well. So someone who's very curious and adventurous, what was the biggest lesson you learned during your time at HSBC? Um, good question. I think, I think for me, particularly somebody, and you touched on at the beginning of the, the interview, for somebody that um, 
pushes boundaries all the time. And I, I'm constantly looking at ways of getting corporates to have a voice and to to connect with communities and CSR and pushing their employees out of their comfort zone. I think one of the key learnings for me from HSBC is that they are still, whilst they want a voice and they want to connect with the communities and they are still a bank and they do, there is a lot of corporate red tape and that corporate red tape is there for a reason. And, and quite often I'd learn the hard way in being pulled up by compliance or HR for pushing those boundaries too much. And I think that's taught me a lot in now setting up a business, working with a lot of those um, large corporates, is that the red tape is still there, that you do need to adhere to policies and, and that's around from all functions, from HR to compliance to insurance. And, and that's been a huge learning for me is those policies are there for a reason, whilst they for me, stupid. They are um, elements of a, of a successful business like, like HSBC that are fundamental in in the running of that business. And and I, yeah, as I said, I learned the hard way with this, but it's been a brilliant learning because it's enabled me to um, take that into into just challenge. So in October 2017, you decided to resign from a great role at HSBC to become an entrepreneur and start Just Challenge. What, you know, for you, you know, obviously the, you, the idea had sparked earlier when you were on those, the, those challenges across the desert and you're starting to raise lots of money for charities. What was the real light switch that went, you know what, I'm now ready to jump into the unknown and set up my own, at your own business and start doing that for a full-time job? Yeah, look, I, look, completely honestly, I think there's two. I'd love to say that I'd always wanted to be an entrepreneur and the timing was right. I don't think that was the case at all. I think I was, as I said, I was incredibly ambitious at HSCC. I was desperate for the next thing. Every time I got something more, it was on to what, what could I get next? And... And the way the organization was structured was there was a global head of sponsorship and events and there was um, his team underneath him and and I wasn't experienced enough and, and nor would I, would I ever or any time soon going to get the role of global head of sponsorship and events. I was a long way off that, but there was nothing in between for me. And so I... And I was desperate and desperate and desperate constantly to be to be promoted and and I think I just felt that if HSBC wasn't going to enable that for me that I was going to I was going to create that opportunity for myself and I felt that I'd identified something that could facilitate that and that for me and by the end of 2017 having done seven years with HSBC and and I was managing some amazing sponsorships around the world, but I, I, I couldn't see the next step within the organization in the foreseeable, foreseeable future. So for me, that was the, the point that I thought, you know what, if I'm going to do it, I need to do it. I need to do it now while I'm still, I also was young and I was single at the time. I had no real commitments other than myself to worry about and i i think that opportunity realistically is quite rare and and that's why i felt the timing and end of end of 2017 was right so with a very ambitious mind if you jumped into a lift with the ceo of google and had 20 floors to pitch just challenge what would you say 
So I'd say that Just Challenge has been built as a platform to take employees, clients, leaders um, on adventures to raise money for, for charity. And we put on very, very meaningful events that bring um, employees, leaders and clients together to make a difference in the world. And we work with some of the largest organizations in doing that, but most importantly, that really respond to their business objectives. So we understand the markets that are important to them. We understand what their key goals are in, and we deliver events that that respond to that. And that could be in mental health. It could be in, in providing underprivileged children with um, water, it could be the whole way through to uh, medical cancer, whatever the cause that an organization is supporting. But we really design events that bring people together to raise funds and awareness for causes close to corporate hearts. I know, I presume each client would be different, but how long does it usually take to organize one of these challenges and what does the process look like? 12 months is what we normally work towards, anything between nine and 12 months. So we would have an initial conversation. Um, and as you as you know, we're working with some of the world's biggest brands. And that's what we pride ourselves on. We're working with the likes of Arsenal Football Club, HSBC Barclays. Um, and so therefore, those initial conversations take time. And, and we work very closely with them in, in understanding what their needs are and the causes they're supporting and how we can help respond to those. Um, but then we'll have an initial conversation with uh, our team. We have an operations team that goes out and recce's routes and designs products. And, and we'll then put a campaign together, which takes two or three weeks, and present that back to the organization. They'll then launch it internally. And we then do nine months, between six and nine months of onboarding and getting them fit and familiar with the course, fundraising for the the campaign and and then um the challenges themselves tend to be three to four days yeah. it's always always a massive amount of work that goes behind an event yeah. that takes a short period of time in the whole big scheme of things totally totally yeah see it's, it's a year's worth of work in the lead up to a, a one week event or less so what are some of the unique locations Just Challenge has been to so far and what's something in the pipeline for the next few years that really um, has you excited? Yeah, I think the, the location is a really interesting one for us because it's quite challenging. Whilst the world is an enormous place, it's quite hard to find places that are accessible for large corporates with offices around the world that can be done in sort of three or four days, that can accommodate 100 people, that has the right terrain, the right temperatures, challenging but not too challenging. So we've developed a, a portfolio of places now that, that really suit those, those corporate needs, but it's not been an easy task. Um, and we've been to some amazing places, Look, the places that really resonate and excite me, me most. Um, Oman has been amazing. And we've taken a couple of corporates up there and that's really blown my mind in terms of the terrain, the people, the camps we've trekked um, through the Musandam Peninsula, uh, camped on beaches, bright blue sea, white sand, but very mountainous and very dry. Um, 
within the, the waddies and things. So that was spectacular. We've done quite a lot in China, um, been to the very sort of uh, remote parts of the Great Wall of China and completely off the beaten track, which has been pretty eye-opening. We've been up into the Indian Himalayas when not past the single tourist up in the Dharamshala region, which was, again, truly spectacular. And if you ever need some time to switch off from the corporate world, that's the place to go because it's just beautiful. And the cultures and the um, religions that you are able to engage in really opens your eyes to to the rest of the world. Um, Mongolia, again, amazing. A whole new world in terms of um, organizing an event, but a truly spectacular part of the world in which you basically get every season in, in one day and every terrain, one minute you're in sand dunes and the next minute you're um, in the mountains. It's really, really amazing. And we recently did a big one into South Africa and I absolutely loved South Africa too. And and um, we had went up into the Drakensberg Mountains and what we try and do as a business is there's obviously hundreds and hundreds of adventure companies out there that organize challenges and what we try and do is take people off the beaten track and find amazing locations that they wouldn't go to that just not somewhere they'd go to normally yeah so are these are these challenges self-sustainable where everyone is required to say pitch their own tent um cook food and and do the chores each day or is this or is there someone there or or a group of porters or people there to help them out yeah, it depends on the client. So we still pride ourselves in ensuring it's completely bespoke to um, adapt to the client needs. Some of them are, are more self-sufficient than others. More often than not, we have a very, very big support team um, that go on these challenges with our clients. And that's from client servicing and my team to operations, to team leaders, to mountaineers, to porters, to cooks, to chefs, to all sort of a full array. And so... Um, I'd say it's sort of a, it's a balance. And some clients, there were a couple of challenges where we do. We dehydrated food, we carry our backpacks and we put up our own tents through to arriving into camp and there being a marquee up with a campfire and a truck full of cold beers and tents already set up. So we do a whole array of products. We really just work with our clients to, to suit their needs. So what type of strategies do you put in place to ensure that the expeditions are both sustainable and environmentally friendly? Yeah, and that's something that it's been over the last two years, something that we've focused more and more on and is now absolutely fundamental to our business. And we, it's what we do now, which is quite cool, actually. It's taken a lot of time for us to implement, but we now... With all of our challenges, we commit to not leaving any footprint where we go. We don't use single-use plastic, so we ask all of our participants to have camelbacks and um, water bottles to fill up each day. We use brown paper bags, not plastic, where where we can. And 
and we now implement a strategy on all of our challenges that we that we ask participants to take part in in implementing a sustainable project in each location so instead of taking a holistic global approach to sustainability we actually do it on a project by project basis because because we're going into communities and we recently did one in the south mountains in Vietnam of which we're staying with these local tribal families and and so what can we do that gives back to them rather than giving back to Vietnam as a whole or a, a big sustainable policy of which it's they would never reap the rewards of we actually funded and invested in a sustainable water pump for each of those villages we we went through so that we could leave a legacy within within those um communities that we're we're visiting and we're now implementing that across all of our challenges because you find that the vast majority of places that we're delivering these are a third world and so they can vastly benefit from us visiting and so we've actually instead of taking a and we do have global policies in place of course to reduce our footprint and offset and um but actually the the local more granular policies i think are those that can be the most impactful and that's the approach that we started taking last year and will continue to take into 2020 so you know you've talked about quite a lot of the impact of the people while they're on the expeditions and then also you know say with the local communities that you're going through but what are the impacts that you're seeing in the companies who have taken on just challenge you know following the adventure in the next few months or even year or two afterwards yeah, and look, I mean, I'm obviously biased because it, it's the company that I run, but I, the benefits these organisations see from something like this is just vast. I think one of the key things, and I'll use the challenge in a client as an example, is Barclays, we took 75 of their employees from around the world on a challenge to raise funds for mental health, so to raise awareness and to raise funds for ill mental ill health and and it's something that's such a taboo subject particularly in asia nobody talks about their mental health and and their well-being and so we came in and and barclays as an organization talks a lot about the mental well-being of their employees and we provided a an experience as a platform for barclays employees to really engage in that cause but also to raise funds for the for, for mental health across um across asia and and I think in terms of the benefits that they saw, that we created a platform that got people to talk. So we took mental health ambassadors with us and we sat around the campfire and we asked people how they were and to bring up examples. And there were tears and there were people that hadn't spoken about their own mental Ill health or their family's mental Ill health. Or, and we just had this really, really open conversation around the, around the campfire that was honestly one of the most life-changing conversations that I've I've had or I've been privy to. And I think as an organization to be able to say, look, we we enabled that platform, we supported this and enabled people to have conversations, but also to have the tools to then go back. And we we brought ambassadors that gave them those tools to go back into the organization to have conversations with their peers. We gave them a platform to demonstrate they raised a significant amount of money. They raised nearly 100,000 US dollars to for for mental health. They 
their employees suddenly came out with all of these amazing connections across the organization. Now somebody knows somebody in tax and in insurance and compliance and legal. And so you find that bonds are formed across the organization. You're giving Barclays an opportunity to say, look, we're really doing something in this space. You're training up employees in mental mental health and and well-being. Um, and they're just leaving feeling inspired and connected and proud to work for the organization. So I think, I mean, and, and this is what, again, our business is built on. Sponsorship is very, very expensive. The events we do are not. They're they're one-off niche events that, that we do in remote locations. And the benefits you can get as an ROI on doing an event like ours, I honestly think are best in class in terms of um, corporate corporate benefits. Mm, I like that. You know, you've just challenges only been around for, you know, just over a couple of years. And what has enabled the company to scale so quickly to deliver operations in over 50 destinations globally and set up offices in Hong Kong, Singapore, now London? Yeah, look, I think for us and, and the, the benefit of, of the business growth has been that we have conversations with clients and, and back to your point around how long does it take to build an event it takes us 12 months to then build an event which gives us an amazing lead time to then resource that and so we have been able to scale and respond to our client client needs because we've had time time to do that we here i mean and my team would say the same we've worked incredibly hard and we're all exhausted and we're closing for Christmas because the tech team needs some downtime. But we've flown around the world building all of these products and meeting all of these people to ensure that we can deliver to our clients' clients' objectives. We've got our businesses built entirely on relationships. And we have got amazing relationships with ground teams now around the world. The industry is an inclusive one of which we work with DMCs and tour operators to build those relationships. And we've now got a brilliant model in terms of our standard operating procedures and, and the auditing that we do to set up new products around the world and we've got a pool of brilliant freelancers that we mobilize to go out and and recce those locations so that we can increase our product portfolio around the world and deliver these spectacular experiences so time is on our side when we get these new clients and our 2020 pipeline is amazing and we're scaling to respond to that but we've been able to to scale the business quickly as we grow um, and still deliver amazing experiences because we have that time to do that. And if we look at 2020, I mean, we'll do anything up to 15 events next year. And if you think we only did our first event in March 2018, it's been been quite a journey, as you can imagine. <laughs> a, a big journey. And congratulations on, on seeing such growth so quickly as well and recognizing how you can scale it in, in, in such a, you know, in such an a relatively easy way based on the way your business model set up. How did the Laureus Sport for Good partnership come about and how does this relationship work? Yeah, so um, funnily enough, my the chairman of, of Just Challenge, he's a, he's a great friend of mine and somebody I trust implicitly. He has been fundamental to the startup of the, the business and, and is a very good friend of mine. His sister is this amazing woman who 
climbed she was the fastest woman to climb all seven summits um in the world and she broke the world record and she is a laureus ambassador and and so when john and i who's the chairman of of this challenge were chatting about people that could support the business his sister was somebody that was an obvious obvious person and so her and i had a coffee right at the beginning of um the start of just challenge and I talked about what the concept was, and it was taking people on these experiences to raise money for charity and using sport as a platform to make the world a better place. And and obviously with her as a Laureus ambassador, she was like, oh my gosh, this is an amazing opportunity to partner up with Laureus Sport for Good. They use sport as a platform to to give back to society. You guys, you need to be doing something with, with Laureus. It's crazy crazy not to and so Annabelle Bond who um Laurie's ambassador fastest woman to to climb all seven summits in the world she connected us with Laureus sport for good and and they they were very interested right from the outset but but also I I would admit quite nervous because ultimately I was just this girl that had quit her job at HSBC and had this wild idea to set up this new business and suddenly this established charity of many many years founded by Nelson Mandela was being asked to support this this crazy startup and and they said to me what do we need to do to be part of your first challenge to be the beneficiary charity if you're going to launch this business what do we need to do and I said find me an ambassador that would come on on the challenge and they asked me what I needed to do that for and I asked them to do it by the next day when we were launching the business and they called me back the next day 12 hours later and and Michael Vaughan had offered to come on our first challenge and that was just the most amazing moment for for me and for the business. And I'm forever grateful to both John and Annabelle for identifying that opportunity with Laureus Sport for Good. But that just put us in a whole new stratosphere of um, potential when, when that partnership was put in place. And it's just gone from strength to strength. The first one challenge we did with Forney raised... Um, 285,000 US dollars. The next one we did with Brian O'Driscoll and Brian Havana for Laureus raised 425,000 US. And then we'll go to New Zealand in, in March 2020 and hopefully see similar similar money raised with Michael Johnson, the, the sprinter, and Sean Fitzpatrick, the former all-black captain who, who were both Laureus ambassadors and will lead the next challenge. Uh, you, you just, I'm sitting here smiling because you take ambition to a whole nother level and I, I, I love, I love listening to the way you approach things. It's very inspiring. With health and well-being at the core of what Challenge does, how do you look after your own health and well-being? <laughs> Good question. And it's, and it, do you know what, it's something that I think and would openly say has probably suffered as a result of, of setting up just challenge. And I think you, as an entrepreneur, there's a lot of pressure on you to um, demonstrate strength in, in health and well-being, both physically and mentally the whole way through the journey. And particularly when that's what you're preaching to corporates, clients, participants, uh, stakeholders within the business all day, every day. But I mean, I've worked 
12 hour days for the last two years, all day, every day. I never, ever switch off, ever. I dream about it. I wake up thinking about it. I go on holiday thinking about it. And it's quite ironic, really, because I spend my existence telling people about the importance of switching off and connecting with nature and connecting with what's important and don't do it, don't do it myself. And and I think that that's certainly taken its toll. And it's not until I've really grown the team, I've now got an amazing team of people in Just Challenge that are very self-sufficient that I've been able to now focus on my own mental health and well-being and, and fitness and, and getting that back on track over the last um, probably six months as the team has grown. And I think it gets easier to be able to do that as an entrepreneur, as you get a team of people below you. Um, which I never envisaged. I thought that it would get harder and harder as we scaled the business, but I think it actually, certainly for us, gets easier and easier as your team of people get better and better and self-sufficient. And and I went on a challenge a couple of weeks ago, and it was hilarious. I was not needed at all. In fact, I was probably just a pain for the team to be around because they are so good now at what they do that having me around was was actually just a nuisance really. And and that for me was the turning point with the business because it just meant means that I can now focus on strategy and how we grow just challenge, raise more and more money for charity, engage more and more participants and not really getting my hands as dirty as I was right at the beginning. Because yeah, I mean the start of just challenge, I went from raising capital to packing pat lunches to tracking the tracks myself like I was doing I was doing everything and that takes its toll. Mm. We all know smart people have great answers but the most successful people ask great questions. When was the last time you did something for the first time? That's a really good question. Um, <laughs> this podcast, the first time I've ever done a podcast. Um, that's exciting. Yeah, no, it is really exciting. And it's funny, isn't it? You, again, I preach about pushing myself out of my comfort zone, but then potentially really sort of sit in my home surroundings. I've recently moved, uh, it's probably quite a good, I, for the first time I've moved countries um, for something other than, other than myself. And I think that's probably the first time I've done that uh, in a while. I, I've always um, moved and, and flexed and and done things for just challenge and, and for, for HSBC. So when HSBC needed me to move to Hong Kong, I moved. And when just challenge me needed me to be um, in certain locations around the world, I've done that. And I've recently moved to, to Singapore because I've met somebody and that's a personal decision. And that's the first time I've done something that's purely been for myself in since certainly since i i moved to hong kong oh it's pretty exciting well done what is the yeah. one question that you would love to solve i mean i mean i'm an incredibly inquisitive person and I spend my life trying to understand things that I'll, that I'll never understand. And quite simply, that'll be things like, like I have no idea how aeroplanes fly in the air. I would love to know how an aeroplane gets off the ground. I'd love to know what's past space, what's past the universe. Like I, 
I spend my life trying to understand things like that. I think, do you mean from a business perspective or is it? No, anyway, I like the airplane one. <laughs> yeah. No one else has yeah. come up with that one yet. <laughs> no, 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 and it baffles me all day, every day. I mean, how on earth airplanes full of people can just get up in the air like that and fly to another destination, I will never, ever understand. And maybe one day that's something that, that I will I will solve in my own mind. <laughs> and don't worry, I think about the same thing when I was just flying back from Singapore the other day. It's like, how do we actually get off the ground? I love this. I know. It's nuts. It's nuts. So at, Blows my mind. <laughs> so at Active CEO, you know, we like to give some tangible things for people to take away. So what's one piece of advice that you have kind of received or pick up, picked up on over your, your life so far that you would love to share with our listeners? Uh, look, I have been given so much advice along the journey, but the, and what I would very, very openly say, there is no way just challenge would be what it would be without the people I've surrounded myself with. You can't do this alone. Nobody can do it alone. Nobody ever did. The people that have achieved amazing things never did it alone. And and somebody said to me once, and it was actually our chairman, who um, is a great friend of mine, he gave me a brilliant piece of advice on, on identifying people around you that can help you on that journey and building those relationships and nurturing them in a meaningful way and that was the best piece of advice I've ever been given surround yourself with with brilliant people and that will take you where you need to be because you'll, you'll never do it alone and I would never do it alone without the family the friends the support the investors the stakeholders the clients the team I work with there's no way that just challenge would be where it is now and, and it's identifying that recognizing it and and nurturing those relationships around you and and that was the best piece of advice I would would give anybody is don't go in, into this alone and, and our hashtag at just challenge is in this together because you are if you're in this together with a, with a group of people a group of brilliant people which we at just challenge and I certainly am then you can go to places that you'd never imagine you could get to. Lucy you've shared some great insights and and you've got some doing some phenomenal things with charities and your expeditions inside companies and how that affects people. How can people learn more about what you do? And if people want to connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, I mean, obviously our website. Um, so we've got everything on our website, which is at www.just-challenge.com. But I just, I, I'd love to hear from people. If anybody wants to get in touch with me, whether that's from a um, entrepreneurial perspective, whether it's to have a chat about what we do, just challenge, whether it's a brand or a corporate or somebody that just wants to take part in one of our experiences i personally would would love to hear from anybody so to email me at lucy at just challenge.com would be awesome excellent so we'll get those in the show notes as well so people can pick them up um, outside the podcast uh, lucy it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today uh, i've loved hearing you about your ambitious and curious approach to to life right from being a young child and sneaking off with the 12 year old boys to get out of school <laughs> uh, to to your adventure into HSBC, where you know you weren't you weren't just happy 
being in one position. You wanted to continue learning. You wanted to test yourself and push the boundaries and you were curious every single day. I love the tenacity that you showed when you were like, I want to get in sponsorship events. So I'm going to contact that person every single week until they actually give me a job. And, and to take the bold step into the unknown, set up your own business, but with this massive, massive internal um, personal uh, passion and also, you know, purpose to what you wanted to do and to be able to achieve what you have over the last two years is quite amazing. And, and I hope you get the opportunity to sit back and reflect that over your couple of weeks off over Christmas and, and think about just the people that you're touching and the incredible opportunities that you're providing people that they wouldn't otherwise have. You're, what you're doing is, is helping build more high-performing teams around the world and organizations, which is going to ensure that people really enjoy the work that they do and, and, and also have better mental health and physical health and help some other people who really need help in, in th parts of the world through the work that they're doing as well. So thank you very much for your time today. Craig, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. On this week's Active CEO Performance Tip, we're talking about leaders speak last. How often do you go into a meeting and the lead person talks, talks, and then talks some more? It's quite frustrating. The people in the room begin to switch off, and when time comes to action following the meeting, no one really buys into it. High-performing leaders always speak last. They may open the meeting and provide context before allowing everyone else in the room the opportunity to speak. They wait until right at the end of the meeting to wrap up what has been said and then identify steps forward. And these are steps that have already been created and identified by the other people in the room. This ensures everyone has their opportunity to speak, new ideas can come to the surface and the team makes the decision. In a 30 minute meeting, a high performing leader may only speak for one or two minutes. How are you going to ensure that everyone is heard and you speak the least in the next meetings that you attend? Thank you for listening to an energizing conversation with Lucy Bennett-Baggs, Just Challenge Global Impact, on episode 74 of the Active CEO podcast. Many people find it a challenge to prioritize tasks and manage time effectively. It is easy to overcommit and take on too much in a constant search for greater output and bottom line. It is even a greater challenge for the curious people who come up with lots of ideas and love experimenting. Being able to stay focused long enough to complete a task before the next big shiny thing appears is really difficult. Having someone, whether internal or external, that can hold you accountable to the work that you do is important if you want a reputation of delivering on time and with the quality both you and the person who's receiving it deserve. Active CEO coaching helps CEOs and leaders to prioritize the important tasks, goals, and projects while keeping them accountable to ensure they are completed on time. To learn more about Active CEO coaching, then please contact me at craig at nrg, the number two, perform.com or click on the contact page of the www.nrg2perform.com website. 
This is the Active CEO podcast with Ordinary Don't Belong. Join the Active CEO movement by visiting www.nrgtoperform.com. That's nrg2perform.com. Share this podcast on LinkedIn and be sure to tag in NRG to Perform. Leave a review on iTunes. Drop us a line with your feedback and questions and connect with us on the NRG to Perform Facebook and Instagram pages. Be sure to check out the next Active CEO podcast where the ordinary don't belong.